Well, there were so many other sites we visited. We could have talked about so many different things, but of course, for time's sake, we weren't able to do that. And uh, I had, again, of course, opportunities. Which, where am I, what am I going to preach from? We visited so many places. I was really moved by the Pool of Bethesda, as I always am. The original steps are still there. Uh, we were at uh, the Beatitudes where Jesus preached and, and, the Mount, and also where he fed the thousands, the 5,000. There's so many places that minister to us in Gethsemane where Jesus poured out his soul before God. We were in Capernaum where Jesus preached in the actual synagogue where the foundation is still there. They built over it in the 4th century, but the actual foundation of the original synagogue that we see in Luke chapter 7 where the, uh, the centurion built, is still there. Imagine that, still there. But I've chosen to speak uh, from the life of David once again. I, I'm always drawn there. I can't seem to get away from it. We visited, of course, a place called En Gedi. And there's other places we visited. This was a place where David was a fugitive running from Saul, King Saul, for 14 years, he was Israel's number one enemy, fugitive, on King Saul's hit list, for no reason. And he was on the run. And one of the places he went was this place called En Gedi. And we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 to 6, as my text and I'll talk a little bit about that as a minister this morning. I want to welcome again all of you for being with us. It's always a joy. Thank you so much, Claude and Dale, once again, for your, just for who you are and being here with us today. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Underscore that. And it came to the sheepcoats by the way where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And I'll tell you what that means in a moment. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. And David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him or convicted him, because he had cut off Saul's robe. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Wow. Wow. Now before we begin, we must give a small backdrop and we find that in 1 Samuel 23 that Saul was pursuing David for a period of time 
And we see in verse number 27, as Saul was pursuing David, the Philistines came upon Saul. So he had to stop his pursuit. He stopped pursuing David. He leaves and he goes back to the palace to regroup, to fight against the Philistines. And David ends up fleeing to this place called En Gedi, which is in the wilderness, in the desert. And so you'll find when we visited this place, a desert, and all of a sudden in this desert, it's like an oasis. And you see this huge waterfall in the middle of nowhere and myriads of little caves everywhere. Now this, now the group, you didn't get a chance, to, uh, he didn't take us to the, to the top. There's three levels, and you see the, the, the waterfall. By the way, this waterfall was there during the time of David. And I, I was talking to somebody a few years ago, and they believed that David would shower there. Seriously, people would shower there in the morning. That still exists today. And when you go a little higher, you're able to see all these caves all around Mount Getty. And that's important because the Bible tells us that David was in a cave, but there were so many caves there, and, and David just randomly chose one, and that's when he encountered Saul. But it's called the place of the goats. En Gedi, that's what it means in the original. Now, you might say, okay, that's, a, that, that, that's, that's great, but what does it actually mean? We need a place of the goats. Well, the truth of the matter is, there are all kinds of goats. When we went there, how many goats did we see? Roaming around. When we went, Rick, the last time, we didn't see any goats there. Maybe, I, I don't remember seeing any, but they just weren't there. This time, there were about 20, 25 goats just roaming around. These are not goats, these are ibex. The Bible speaks of ibex. And I'm going to pause here for a moment because David went to the place of the ibex. That's what Engedi is. And the ibex is very important. There's a spiritual significance to this goat. And David mentions the ibex in Psalm chapter 18. I want to read something. Psalm chapter 18, verse 33. Listen to what it says. It is good that God giveth me strength and maketh me or my way perfect. Verse 33, he maketh my feet like hinds feet. That is the ibex feet and setteth me upon high places. Habakkuk says the same thing. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet or like the feet of ibex and he will make me to walk upon the high places. Make me to walk. Now, now this is important, brothers and sisters, because you can't walk on these cliffs in the natural. There's no way a human being can walk up these places without falling. It is too rigid. And in some places, the, the mountain is so steep, there's nothing to hold on to. You, there's no way you can walk on that because there's a certain cushion underneath the foot of these ibex. It, there's almost like a gluey substance as well that gives them the ability to maneuver in a way Way that most animals can't and certainly most humans can and if you try to climb these places you're going to fall down you'll never be able to make it and that's why David said he maketh my feet like the feet of Hybex. In other words, when I'm in trouble, when I get discouraged, when I'm running, when I'm in some kind of pain, God's going to make a way. When I'm going through a difficult time, God's going to make me get over this mountain. He's going to make me climb this mountain like hinds feet, like the feet of Abex or the Ibex. This is what David 
had in mind when he talked about this. That, that when I go through a difficult time and I find myself stuck in a cave and I find this mountain that I've got to climb over so steep that I can't do it in my strength, he's going to make my feet like the feet of Ibex. To give me the ability to maneuver in a place that I'm not able to maneuver. He makes my what? The crooked paths straight, Joel said. The place of the ibex. And David writes about this event. Now, brothers and sisters, if there was anyone who could have shown vengeance or could have got even, it was David. Remember, Saul is after David for no reason whatsoever. David did nothing against Saul. Nothing. Actually, he obeyed him. And every time he obeyed him, something happened. Saul got more upset with him over and over again. And so David is running. And now the Bible tells us that David ends up in a cave. He didn't calculate what cave. He ended up in a cave. And isn't it amazing, with all these caves all over the place, it just so happened that King Saul ends up in the same cave that David was hiding, but Saul didn't know that David was there. What are the odds for that to happen? How many times have you heard me say, nothing just happens? Listen, friends, there's no coincidence with God. The world calls it a coincidence, Pastor Julio said the word lucky. I'm going to reprimand them later. Uh, there's no such thing as luck when it comes to the things of God. Can I be straight with you? Doesn't exist. Luck is for Las Vegas. Leave it there. Nothing to do with God. Why? Because either God ordains it or he doesn't ordain it. Either God wills it or he doesn't will it. Either God directs it or he doesn't direct it. There's no happenstance with God. So Saul just so happens to be in that place. And David, watch this now, could have easily killed him to execute vengeance. David, who was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. It was David who defeated Goliath. It was David who Israel sang about. It was David who was the man after God's heart. But it is David who is on the run from, from King Saul. David who is the anointed one oh I want to talk to people who think because you're anointed everything's going to be just fine what are the two things that happened can you tell me the two things that took place in David's life after he was anointed did he preach a great sermon and thousands of people got saved no did he lay hands on the sick and everybody got healed no when David was anointed by Samuel, the two things that occupied his life, you know what it was? He went back to his father's house to tend to the sheep and continue to pick up manure. Oh, I'm glad that I'm anointed. And the second thing is, he was running away from Saul. What an anointing! Oh, I'm so glad I'm anointed. I can go back and pick up manure from the sheep. I'm so glad I'm anointed. I can run away for my life from dying, from being killed by the... And we think that being in ministry is so glamorous. 
Oh, he's so anointed. What a beautiful. Oh, listen, my friends. We misunderstand what the anointing is. We think it's something that is so glorious, and, and it is. Yes, the anointing speaks of an enablement, a supernatural enablement, I understand that. But sometimes that supernatural enablement is helping you deal with life, with pressures, with the King Saul's that want to destroy you, with a father that hates you and has rejected you, just to deal with life. David goes back to his father and all that rejection and how he's running from Saul. Wow, and he ends up in, in Gedi, a remote desert place. David, the anointed one, is in the desert, in a cave, running for his life. And Saul, who's backslidden, miserable, is in the palace. Oh, a, I got a lot of sermons this morning. I can. So here's the one who's rejected God. He's in the palace. And the one who's anointed, who loves God, he's in a cave in the desert. Can somebody speak to me, Mr. Prosperity Preacher, who thinks because you're called of God, you're going to live in a, in a big mansion with all these cars, and you're going to name and claim whatever you want. God becomes your cosmic bellhop and gives you whatever you want because you're... I got a good Greek word for you, sir. Hogwash. That's ridiculous. David's in a cave. And as I keep saying, it seems, back in the desert university, where graduating in God's university means going from one cave to the next. And we want to drive our Cadillacs, and we want to live in the palaces, and we want to enjoy the pleasures of this world all in the name of Christ while David's in the cave running for his life after he was anointed oh after he's anointed the place of the goats Saul is relentless he deals with the Philistines and the Bible says once that was over back on the attack I gotta get David I'm not letting David go you see the devils Saul now becomes a picture of the devil what does the Bible say in first Peter the devil is what chapter 5 what does he do he is what he's roaming around seeking whom he may devour he's seeking he's pursuing he's out on the attack he wants to destroy you he's like the attack of every believer and if you're a David if you got an anointing I tell you he's after you for sure he wants to destroy you he wants to bring you down he's seeking and Saul who's a picture of the devil goes back to seek after David to kill him and David has done nothing wrong isn't that interesting David is one man with 600 men Saul the king with 3,000 men is after David his hatred had blinded him and you know why because he was jealous of David now we talked about Joseph not too long ago but let me tell you something friends here's another case where God's man was jealous 
was, being, was, 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 was an object of jealousy from those who did not really know God. Who was jealous of Joseph? His brothers. They didn't know God. Joseph did nothing to cause his brothers to be jealous of him. David did nothing to cause Saul. You see, friends, sometimes people will be jealous of you for no reason of your own. They'll just be jealous of you because of who you are. Who was David? David was the anointed. David was a man after God's heart. Why did they hate Joseph? Why did the brothers hate Joseph? What did Joseph do? They hated Joseph. They were jealous of Joseph for who he was. Why? He was loved by the father. The father blessed him with a special coat of many colors. The brothers hated that, hated his relationship with that. Sometimes people will be jealous of you because of your relationship with God. They don't like it. Oh, there you go. There he talks about God again, and there she goes. And what? To, how does she know? And what right? Oh, come on. I know some of you have gone through this, and so I want to break it down. I want to share some principles to begin with. Our this morning in David's life that shines so brightly. First of all, friends, first life lesson I want to begin is: listen, you can't help what people do or say about you. You can't. People will say things about you no matter what you do, good or bad. You can't help that. It's just part of reality. So if you want to go through life and, and live in a cave and nobody's going to talk about you, are scared about taking risks or doing it, go ahead and live in a cave. Even if you live in a cave, people are still going to talk about you. Doesn't matter what you do or don't do, people are going to talk about you. You better understand that. No matter how it is, no matter how many years you live, people are going to, and if some of you don't want leadership because you're scared of making mistakes or what people might think of you, even if you sit on a pew 24-7, they're still going to talk about you. Somebody's been talking about somebody over here. Okay. Okay. But friends, even though you can't help what people are going to say about you, but there's one thing you can do, but you can help how you respond, how you respond to what is being said of you. And that's where the battle is. And you've heard me say over and over again, 10% is what happens to you, and 90% is what and how you respond to what is happening to you. 90%, 90% according to statistics and sociologists. 90%, 90%, 90%. And so let's break it down, verses 1 to 6. David, number one, first point, David now is going to respond. He's being attacked, he's being hunted down, he's in a cave, there's the backdrop, Saul wants to kill him, and all of a sudden, Saul shows up in the very place that David is hiding. Wow. Wow. Here's my chance, says David. Here's my chance to get even. Here's my chance to get even. Number one, first point. David refuses revenge no matter what the situation was. Verses one to four. Here's his opportunity to kill him, but he didn't. The Bible says Saul went to cover his feet. That's just a King James Version explanation. Very bad. He went to reveal, re- relieve himself. He went to the bathroom. Okay. Can we just, no big deal. We all have to go to the bathroom. Listen, you're human. Don't laugh. We all go to the bathroom. Okay. And we do funny things in bathrooms. Okay. 
Saul didn't have a bathroom and the cave was a bathroom, okay? That's as simple as that. It's funny, when you go to Israel, you've got to pay a shekel to go to the bathroom. You, I couldn't believe him. I'm going to pay shekels to go. Saul paid no shekels. He just went to the cave. He went to the cave to reveal, relieve himself. To relieve himself. And there is where David is. David just so happened to be there, but we know that nothing just happens. And you could probably hear the devil whispering to David's ear, David, there's your enemy. Time to get even, David. Time to get, look at what greater chance do you have than right now, David. What an opportunity to get even. But I need to ask a question, brothers and sisters. Is God giving him an opportunity to get even at his enemy or is God testing his character? Oh, I love this one. Because I tell your friends, all of us can, can relate to this to some degree or another. Is God giving you an opportunity to get even or is God testing your character? You see, your character will be tested in two different areas. They all end with T-I-O-N if you're writing this down. Principles. Your character will be tested when you go through opposition. And your character will be tested, number two, when you go through promotion. How will you react through opposition? How will you react in promotion and favor? Your character will be tested. Your character will be seen how you deal with your pain and your obstacles and your persecution. Your character will be seen how you deal when God promotes you and all these wonderful things are happening. Will it get to your head? How will you respond to these things? David could have been saying, God has delivered Saul into my hands. See, the possibility of Saul being there are so astronomical, it's easy, easy for you to come to that conclusion. But verse 4, David refuses to take revenge even despite his counselors. Oh my friends, I don't want you to miss this. Look what it says in verse number four. They, look what it says. It says, and, and the men of David said unto him, David, behold the day which the Lord said unto thee, behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thy hand that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem fit to you. David, said these counselors. God's given you an opportunity right here. These are David's advisors. These are David's counselors. These are the brain trust that he brought with him, these 600 men. These are the men, these are the board. The board has spoken. The board has spoken. David, here's your chance to get even. But David refused. He couldn't. You know, you got to ask yourself, who were these counselors? I did a bit of research. I found out who they were. In 1 Samuel 22, I don't have time to expand, but it says in verse 2 that these were men that were in distress and discontent and disenchanted with King Saul. You see, sometimes your advisors might not have 
the right information or they might have the right information but they might be upset with the person that might be dealing with you and they might be upset with that person and give you advice but it's because they've got their own agenda oh just stay with me for a little bit so these counselors are giving you counsel but it's not objective counsel they've got issues with somebody and they're giving you a counsel or some information because they're upset with that individual that's upset with you so kill him David said Here's, they, they said to David this is your opportunity this is your opportunity God God notice they even use the word God's name as a stamp of approval oh how many times do people use God to justify their advice well you know God told me this and so you got to do that has anybody ever gone through that kind of an experience well God told me and so you better excuse me oh yeah well God said and you well how do you argue with God how, listen my friends can I be honest with you and I've learned this over the years I'm very careful when I say God said okay God said has come through the lips of more quicker than, than, than anything else I, I've, I've, it's unbelievable how many times people will say well God said God told me and he might but I got an issue when I hear that person saying it three times a day for the next 24 hours it, listen friend God speaks but be careful that you're not saying God speaks or God said to validate your own personal agenda I've entitled this message when someone has done you wrong when someone has done you wrong these counselors are out against Saul they want him down you see if Saul dies then David is made king right away and these counselors will be promoted and they had their own agenda because of it oh my friends they said God has given you this opportunity God has given you this you know another thing God is blamed for so many things that he's got nothing to do with can I just throw that in for free you can catch it if you like, like God is blamed for everything well, you know, God, God, God had nothing to do with this. God never said, kill Saul. He never spoke to David, here's your opportunity. But these so-called advisors told them, oh, my friends, can I, can, can I just park for a minute? Can I just park for a minute? I, I got a bit of time. It's only 11.57. <laughs> this is really, this is good stuff for us. Anybody who knows me, this is good. That means I got another three hours. Don't worry about it. <laughs> These false counselors said God had spoken. Friends, can I just, look, I've got to say something. And I've been saying this, and that some of you have been receiving this, and I'm very happy. Be careful with these so-called prophets that you hear on television, on TV, radio. These so-called prophets that give words. Just call me up, and I'll give you a word from the Lord. Let me tell you something, friends. They don't under, if you hear someone talking like that, hang up the phone. I'm going to tell you why. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that speaks of the spiritual gifts. If you would study it, the Bible says these gifts are of the Spirit. But we seem to forget verse 11. As the Spirit 
moves and a spirit gives. In other words, when the spirit of God moves in that situation, that's when the word of knowledge comes. When the spirit of God moves, that's when the gift of healings come. When the spirit of God moves, that's when the gift of wisdom. It doesn't come just because you conjure it up like some Aladdin's lamp. Okay, okay, let me get a word from the Lord. I got my lamp here. Let me rub Aladdin's lamp. Poof comes a genie. Are you kidding me? You know how many people have gone down the wrong path because of these genie callers? Oh, and they sound very good. Well, God said, and the Lord, oh, they're eloquent. Oh, they're fantastic. They speak well. They sound good. They got huge churches, some of them. Remind me of the church of Sardis. Had an appearance of being alive, but are dead. These so-called prophets and preachers today, friends, be careful what you're listening to, who you're listening to. That doesn't mean you've got to look under every rock. I don't want to tell you, you, get, you know, uh, uh-oh, is there a false prophet here? Is there, uh, I'm not talking like that. But just be discerning. Wait, test the spirits. Don't just listen to everything that you hear. Is this what the Bible says? The Bible says in the last days there's going to be an increase of false teaching and false prophets. I, listen, I've been a pastor for 35 even more years. I've never seen more false prophecy and false prophets as I see today. It's unbelievable. But you've got to be discerning, Pastor Melody. Now she's going to walk down and she's going to show you something. And I want you to tell me what you think this is. Now, I can't go through everybody. I've used this illustration before. And those that have seen this, just bear with me, because there's many people who haven't. So, Pastor, I'm just walk down the aisles and just show and let people touch some of it. And she's going to be showing you something. And I want you to tell me what you think this is. They've seen this, Pastor Melly. You ain't go further up there yet. Go around. Look around. Just look at something. Maybe you can even touch it, too. It's okay. It won't bite. It's, it's just, it's just you, you see what that is there, folks? Thank you, Dean. I appreciate you having, helping me in my sermon. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So, what, what you need to understand is that there's people who will take this bill and will say, wow, this is real. They get all excited. It looks like a $50 bill. It smells like a $50 bill. It's got the right color. It's got the same demographics, really, of sorts. But, but, Pastor Melody, I think we've seen enough. Can I just see that for a minute? Good, you did a good job. Did a really good job. But you see, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. I got to get my glasses, you see. When you start examining this bill, and you put it against a real bill. You notice the coloring isn't really exact, number one. Then you'll notice that it's a little bit too small. The original is a little wider. And then when you really start feeling it, it's more coarse than the original $50 bill, even though it looks just like it. My brothers and my sisters, 
sugar looks like salt at a distance. Don't just grab what you see, embrace what you see right away. Be careful. We're living in days where it's so deceptive. We're living in days where false prophecy is running rampant. The devil wants to deceive you and he'll throw you a $50 bill that looks like one. This could mean anything. I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about anything that, you, that might be given to you to deceive you. A false prophecy. I know of a person that went to be a missionary in, the, uh, in South America on a false prophecy. That person went there and got bankrupt and was discouraged and went home totally discouraged and actually left the things of God. These men told David, God has given you this opportunity. But David refused to take vengeance. But he does cut off a piece of Saul's robe for a reason. He wanted to demonstrate to Saul when the opportunity came that he was his friend. Notice verse number 5. Look what David does. Verse number 5. Watch this now. Watch this now. And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off his skirt or his robe. So David felt convicted in just cutting off the robe or a piece of, of material. From Why would David's heart be convicted? Why? Why? This is his enemy. He wants to kill him. And he feels convicted about doing something that seems so small and so minute. Why? Why did David... Why? His conscience bothered him. Because, my brothers and my sisters, are you ready for this? Despite who Saul was, despite who he is, he was still the Lord's anointed. And, 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 and David understood to treat him this way was in David's mind wrong. You don't treat someone because they're the way, the, way, the way they're treating you. You don't treat someone the way they're treating you. I repeat, you don't treat someone the way they are treating you. This is what David, oh stay with me because we're going to expand on that in a few moments. You see, David realized that vengeance belongs to God and him alone. And I've got to do what's right no matter what King Saul has done for me. I've got to do what's right no matter what he wants to do to me. Because, because I understand that God is in control control of my life and I understand that it's, the, it's God that execute vengeance I don't execute the vengeance God executes the vengeance you see my brothers and my sisters David understood this you see David allowed his case to be tried in heaven to let God be the true judge that's what we see in Psalm 35 Psalm 35 can I read it for you just the first verse first two verses look what it says in Psalm 35 look plead my cause O Lord with them that strive with me fight against me fight them that against me fight for them you fight my battles Lord take hold of the shield and buckler and stand up for my help Lord you be my advocate you be my lawyer you be my defender that's what Proverbs said as well. David's son, say not I will do so to him as he has done to me. Oh, you've heard it said. Well, you're doing this to me all the time, so I'm not going to do this. Oh, because you've done this to me, I'm not going to be doing this to you. Can you imagine if David said that? You see, greatness 
godliness is shown by the ability to leave vengeance with God. Godliness is shown by restraint. Godliness is shown by self-control. David could have very easily killed him. He said, I had a sword. I just cut a piece of your cloth. But I could have killed you. Godliness is shown in what it says in Galatians. The spirit of self-control. Your flesh wants to do something, but something inside you stops. Can't do it. David understood that. See, friends, when you're involved in getting revenge or getting vengeance, you know what you're doing? You know what you're doing? You're doing God's job. <laughs> vengeance belongs to the Lord. Does not the Bible say that? We see this in Isaiah, and we see Paul quoting this. When you execute vengeance, oh, I'm not going to, you, you, I'm going to get it. When you do that, you're doing God's job. God is the one who executes vengeance, not you. You're not qualified to do that. You execute vengeance, you're going to automatically get in the flesh. You're never in the spirit when you're executing vengeance. You're never in the spirit when you don't do things because of how other people may have done things. That's not the spirit, that's just a natural reaction. David could have very easily killed Saul and be justified. But he refused vengeance. He refused an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Number two, then I want you to notice David not only refused vengeance or revenge, but David also risked reconciliation with the one that hated him. It's always a risk. When you decide to step out and make reconciliation, my friends, there's always going to be a risk. That's why people don't do it enough. Fear. People hate to confront. You know, sometimes I ask people, can you do me a favor? Can you, de- can you deal with this situation? No. Why? People don't like to confront. I understand that. But there are times, my friends, you have to learn how to confront things. You can't let fear control your life. The reason why you don't confront is because of fear. There's a risk. There's always a risk when you want to reconcile. There's always a risk when you want to deal with certain things to make things better. There's always a risk involved. You might be misunderstood. You might be considered to be weak. They might think, what are you trying to do? David decided to take that chance. And didn't Jesus teach us this in Matthew 5 and 6? Didn't he say when you come to the church to worship, when you come to the church to worship God and you bring your gift and you've got something wrong or it ought against your brother or against your sister and you're still worshiping and you're going around and you've got ought, what do you, you better stop your worship, bring that gift to the altar. In other words, give it to God and then go back and make it right and go back and worship but make sure you deal with it first before you worship before you bring any gift you can't it, it won't be accepted it won't be received deal with your issue first then come to worship come to worship deal with it don't try to execute vengeance on your own deal with it take the first step take the first step we don't like taking the first step we're always waiting for others to come take the first step and we make excuses oh well you know I had to call them but I forgot or I should have emailed them but you know something else came up and this is the big one I was too busy 
Listen, friends, you're never too busy to make things right. That's just an excuse. How do you know that? I know that because you watched television for an hour just a few minutes ago. I know that because you were out doing something that you like, but you weren't too busy to do something that you like. But you're always too busy when it's difficult or it takes a risk. Oh, don't shout me down. You know what I'm talking about. Don't look so pious. You know what I mean. Is that not true, sister? We're never too busy doing the things we like. So why are we so busy when it might take a bit of a risk? Why are we so busy when you've got to step out and, and try to make it right? Always waiting for others to say hello, always waiting for others to come and greet us, always waiting for others to come and see us, always waiting for others to make it right, always waiting for others to give us a call to see what's going on. What about you? And how dare you say, well, you know, Pastor, this church, it's kind of cold, and nobody really cares for me, and I just come to church and nobody... Really? When was the last time you went up to say hello to somebody? When was the last time you took the initiative to greet somebody? Always waiting for others to come and greet you. My God. And the church is cold. Oh, I know I'm going to get some letters, but that's okay. That's all right. I've got a lot of them. I've got them in my files if you want to read them. You see, David risked two things. The rebuke of his own men, verse number 7, and also the ridicule of Saul, verses 8 to 10. His own men. David said, to, to, you, you be quiet, David said, verse 7. That's really what it means. What it means is David tore apart his servants with these words. In other words, David argued with his men about the situation. David said, I love God. I honor God too much. I'm not going to violate his principles. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. He risked, he risked his men's support. Here Saul's your greatest enemy right in front of you and you won't even deal with it. What kind of soldier are you, David? What kind of king are you, David? He risked all kinds of, of, of mockery from his own men. My friends, let me tell you something. You are never weak when you stand for principles and truth. You're never, because forgiveness is the, an attribute of the strong, not of the weak. Oh, he asked for forgiveness because he knew he was wrong and he's weak. No, my friends, you ask for forgiveness because you are strong. And that is the attribute of Christ-likeness. Oh, by the way, this is for free as well. When it comes to forgiveness, it's always your turn. So please stop waiting for sister so-and-so to come and ask for forgiveness. Please stop waiting for your husband to come ask for forgiveness, ladies. Uh, I might as well say for the men too. Please stop waiting for your wives to come and ask forgiveness for you. When it comes to forgiveness... It's always your term. And oh, by the way, this is also for free. It could mean many, many times. And of course, also David risked the ridicule of Saul. 
It's never easy, my friends, but someone's got to take the first step. It's never easy, but someone's got to take the first step. And I want to show you what happened because David did the first step. I want to show you three things as I'm just about to close. Three things that happened that definitely proved something. First of all, David's response. What did we say earlier? Godliness is seen. What now? It's, it's, it's how you respond, not how you react. How do you react is good. But you see, it's, it's, it's how you react. It's 10% is what happens to you. And 90% is how you respond and how you react. We got that down? We got that down? Okay. So how did David respond to Saul? How did David respond to Saul? The thing David did is he presented the facts. He told Saul, listen Saul, you're listening to the wrong person. I'm not your enemy. Look, look, I've cut a piece of your robe. You didn't know it. I could have killed you. But here's a piece of the robe. Here's the, you know my friends, it's so easy to cause stirrings and problems because you bring people the wrong information. His counselors were giving him the wrong information. People will give you the wrong information so they can stir things up. You got to present the facts. David presented the facts. Saul, here's a piece of your robe. I could have killed you. Here's the facts, but I didn't. I didn't. That's why David cut a piece of the robe. He anticipated an opportunity where he would show Saul it's interesting because in 1 Samuel chapter 18, I believe it's the 8th verse, that, that David behaved wisely. And we see him behaving wisely four separate situations in that text. I could have killed you. And you wouldn't even have known it, Saul. It's so easy to cause a strain in a relationship by feeding wrong information, my brothers and my sisters. You've heard me say this before. I believe it bears repeating. Are you ready for this? If you're not careful, please be careful. Rick, you'll like this because you've said it before. Rumors can turn to tumors. Rumors can turn to tumors. Don't just listen to rumors. Get the facts. Stop making assessments. Get the facts. What is really going on here? David presented the facts. He cut a bottom of his robe. I've got the proof right here. I'm loyal to you. David was so loyal to Saul, King Saul, he even cried at his funeral. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11 to 17. He cried at his own funeral. David took hold of his clothes, the Bible says, and tore them, and, and all of his men followed suit, and an act of humility, when, when Saul was killed, he went to the funeral, and he wept, he truly wept, wow, he was loyal right to the end, David said, I'm not your enemy, I mean no harm, verse 14, what does he say, he, say, he says something amazing in verse number 14, he says, after whom has the king of Israel come out, after whom do you pursue, after a dead dog, after a flea, David calls himself a flea, he says, why are you coming to seek me for, I've done nothing wrong to you Saul, I'm like a dead dog, I'm like a flea, this is while David knew that he was the anointed one, what do I see in David's life? Absolute humility. He never promoted himself. I got a word for somebody. Stop trying to promote yourself. It, it doesn't work. 
David never tried to promote himself. God promoted him. You see, can I say something? When you're truly anointed, you understand that, and you're going to stop trying to kick things down for yourself. It's when you're not sure of yourself or not sure of your call that you're going to try to promote yourself. Oh, I know this isn't popular, but it's the absolute truth. If I truly believe that I'm called of God, then why do I need to promote myself? Maybe I just don't believe it. Or maybe I want to try to help God a little bit. <laughs> Let me try to help God a little bit. Let me do what Abraham did. Abraham was promised that he'll have a son, but it wasn't working out with Sarah. So what did Abraham do? He tried to help God. So he went to Egypt and he found Hagar and had a kid. Tried to help God out a little bit. Listen, God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. When it's the right time, God will promote you. When it's the right time, God will make a way for you. Stop trying to make a way for yourself. Stop trying to kick the door down. God is going to do it. God will do it. And Saul was overwhelmed. As David tried to restore the relationship. Verse 17, Saul gives a speech. Gives a speech. Oh, David, you're more righteous than I. Oh, David, I'm sorry. He seems like he's repented. After David speaks to Saul, he meets him again, and I don't have time to expand on it. And David shows him the piece of cloth, and Saul, he's moved. Saul says, verse 17, Thou art more righteous than I. Thou art more righteous, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I rewarded the evil. What was David doing? He was doing exactly what we see in Romans chapter 12, verse, verse uh, number 19. Look what it says. David, on the other side of the cross, we see Paul writing something that David did. What did David do? Exactly what it says in the New Testament. What does it say? Verse number 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written that vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy is hunger, feed them. If they thirst, give them drink. And if so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on their head. Heap coals of fire on their head. Heap what does that mean? Well, in that day of Paul, when someone was to be shamed for what they did, he would take a bucket or a basket of hot coals and he would walk down the streets. And that was just an act of shame. And what, what Paul is saying, you do what's right when someone does wrong with you. You do what's right when you have all the rights to actually have vengeance, but you do what God says and at the right time, God will make a way where that person will feel so shameful, he'll have coals heaping on his head. He'll walk down the streets in shame, realizing that you were not the one that harmed him. This is what David did. Proverbs 24. Rejoice not when thine enemy falls. Let not thy heart be glad when he stumbles and Saul knew at that very moment that David was to be the next king and so Saul asks David to do something we see in verse 21 he says swear by the Lord not to cut off my grandsons and David said yes verse 22 
He didn't have to do it. And Saul recognized that David is the true king, and he said, look, I'm going to probably die very soon, David. But David, please, please, can you not kill off my grandsons? Can you just take care of them? David didn't have to do that. But he did. Because David was a man after God's heart. Because David was a man of integrity. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David goes to Lobidar. Lobidar is a place of the ghetto. Mephibosheth was a cripple. People that were diseased and crippled and outcast would hang out at Lobidar. It was a dark place outside, right outside, not far from Jerusalem, but it was pretty steep. All kinds of people would go there that were outcasts. I don't have time to expand. He ends up going to Lobidar and he asks around, is, is there a, any, any descendants of Saul? He's going around. I've heard that there's a possibility and we found out that there was a nurse that, 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 that took care of Mephibosheth and that she tripped and she lost him as she was being pursued and, and Mephibosheth fell to the ground and became a cripple and he ends up in Lobidar and David finds him out and David takes Mephibosheth Mephibosheth couldn't believe what was going on he thought that David was going to come and kill him but David does the opposite he did the opposite of what Saul wanted to do picks up Mephibosheth he's a cripple and he brings him to the king's palace and he sits beside the king and David honored his word before a man who wanted to kill him you want to know what greatness is? Bless those who persecute you. You want to know what greatness is? Speak well of those who hate you. That's what David did. This is why he was honored above all men. This is what happens when you please God rather than men. David was a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. And God honored him. What's the application of our story? What's, what do we learn as we close? I'll tell you what we learn. Regardless of what Saul has done, regardless of what Saul in your life does, David kept his word. The point is we don't do what is right We don't do what needs to be done because of how people have treated us. We do what is right despite what people have done. You don't have to be a certain way, my friend, or act a certain way because of what that person has done to you. I've heard it. Oh, but pastor, you know, my husband, you should see my wife, and, my, he, and I, I couldn't help it. You know, he, he's turned me into this person. Has anybody ever heard that statement? He's turned me. My friend, nobody has the power to turn you into any person unless you allow it. Oh, I'm telling you, this is for somebody. Don't justify certain behaviors by saying, well, pastor, you know, he made me do it. Otherwise, David would have killed Saul. Oh, I know I'm speaking to somebody. There's a lot of life lessons. But that's a big one. 
That's a big one. David teaches us to bless, to forgive. He learned to rest his case with God, to trust God. David wasn't responsible to change Saul. Ladies, you're not responsible to change your husbands. You're not. You will not change your husband. Only God. Your responsibility is to please God and trust your husband and husbands for your wives because believe it or not, sometimes wives need to change too. Oh, that was a weak amen. All you ladies, you normally say amen. I didn't hear one of them. All you ladies, I would say amen. And I would, yeah, amen for that. But for you ladies, my goodness, do I, did, did you catch that? Yes. You caught that. Good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad somebody caught that. Leave that responsibility to God. You can't do it. It's God's work. That's what David did. He was able to forgive Saul because he wanted to please God. He understood God. He loved God. Oh, my friends. Oh, my friends, there's so much. I'm going to stop right there. Let me close with this true story. True story. During the Vietnamese War, the Americans in the early 70s, it's 1971, I believe it was, or 70, I forget what year, there was an American soldier who was a Christian. I forget what barrack number he was in. He was in these certain barracks. And in this barracks, that's the place where the soldiers would live while they were in, in, in war overseas. And in the barracks, there were many, many men. They would all sleep beside each other. And there was this Christian man and there was this other man who hated Christianity. He hated God. He knew he was a Christian. And he would torment this Christian brother. We'll call him Bill. He hated Bill. Would bother him every day and yell at him and, and, and tell him off and make fun of him when he prayed before he ate. One day, this hater of God took one of Bill's boots. Just took his boot one day, one night when he wasn't watching. The next morning, as he was talking to Bill the Christian, they were saying something. He got so mad, he took his boot and he threw it at Bill's face and his heel cut his lip and he was bleeding profusely. The heel, these were big boots. And he literally ripped his lips apart, blood all over the place. He went to the, uh, to the nursing station, they sewed him up. He said nothing. He did nothing. All the men saw this. All the men said nothing. And in his heart, he was secretly praying before God. Lord, bless, bless him. Lord, help him. Lord, I don't understand many things, but I ask your blessing over this man. In his heart, he prayed this, even while he was being stitched. True story. The next day, he wakes up because he got back the boot by the way because he's right in his face he went secretly that night and this man who hated him 
had pair of boots that were very dirty, blemished, and in the secret, he went took his boots and he polished his boots, cleaned his boots, and he went early and placed them before this man who hurdled his own boot. When the man woke up and he saw the boots, he couldn't believe it. He said, who did this? Bill, Bill. And he was so broken that day, he was a big burly man. That God touched him that day. And that day, that big burly man humbled himself and he said he was sorry. And Bill was able to lead him to the Lord because he refused vengeance. He showed love. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Watch, my friend, how God will take your Engedi cave and turn it into a palace for His glory. Amen. Let's all stand together. do this every so often here at the church and thought it'd be a good time for us to do that today just want to express my just how much we need each other how we need to bless each other 
how we need to encourage each other. Will you do that, friends? Will you take the boot that was thrown at your face and wash it and give it back? Can you do that? We're going to be dismissed, but I want us to sing one chorus that very dear to me, especially it's after a message. Like so as we sing this chorus, we're dismissed. But let us just sing this chorus. We're being dismissed. We're going to have fellowship with each other. Just have a few moments. We've got some nice goodies there. Lucy, did you make your, uh, you made them? You made cookies. Well, that's good enough for me. I'll only have half. You know, okay. So give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our said, Saul, I'm like a flea. I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. He bowed down. He bowed down to the one who wanted to kill him. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come Turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Hallelujah. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And give us clean So many life lessons we don't even know where to begin Lord but Lord we know your word is rich powerful 
to instruct, to encourage, to reprove, to admonish. Help us to take your word literally and seriously, Lord, even today, especially today. Help us to be careful, Lord, of false prophets and false teaching. Help us, Lord, to bless those that persecute us. Help us to do right despite being in a place where there's wrong. Help us to love our enemies. To bless those that curse us. Help us to be a light in the midst of darkness, O oh God. Be glorified through us, through your church, we pray in Jesus' name. We love you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. We're going to have some coffee, some fellas, some goodies. We'll see you in a few moments. God bless everyone.